1: Hello and
2: welcome to the 11th episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. And thank you to our 190 YouTube subscribers. We'd love to get to 200 by next the next time we talk to you. So hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you, if you leave us a comment, we always respond. So let us know what you think. Over to you, Hugh.
1: Don't forget that you can also listen to the audio version of this pod on both Apple and Spotify. Our last podcast was our most listened to audio yet. If you want to be part of the journey, please come along. If you drop us a review, it also helps out a lot as well. We also have a sub stack that you can subscribe to completely for free, where you'll get uh, all of our content in your inbox as soon as we release it. Today, we've put out a list of our top five hidden gems of the Rugby World Cup. The players who have performed fantastically well, but perhaps aren't getting the credit they deserve. Uh, so if you want to see that list, a link to it will be in the description below. Anyway, let's talk about this week's rugby. And Ender, you can introduce us to our wonderful guest.
2: Yeah, none of that thought of the way. We're delighted to introduce our guest for this week. You may know him uh, as Rugby Kino on Twitter, a man with a degree in statistical analysis, Kino Müller. Did I pronounce that correctly, Kien?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about as close <laughs> as you're going to
2: get. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, mate?
0: Not too bad, not too bad at all. Um, kind of just surviving between trips back and forth to France. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a struggle, but I'll have to cope with it somehow.
1: Have we or got you? your degree right? Was it a, is it a degree in statistical analysis?
0: It's is actually right? it's it's a master in data analytics. <laughs> uh, <I don't> <laughs> <remember>. <laughs> but it's pretty close. Pretty close. So yeah, Same ballpark.
1: You, you did your um final project on rugby, didn't you? Is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was kind was rugby rugby data, but it was it ended up being a uh a, a look at a specific type of analysis and whether it worked for really detailed rugby data and TLD or it. Doesn't so, (laughs) but that still counts as research. If you have a hypothesis and you prove it not to be correct, it's still valid. So,
1: well, I'll try and not just ask you questions all night about the thing because I can talk about days for all the time. But (laughs) we have a schedule, so let's move on and talk about our rugby moments of the week, starting with yourself, Ender.
2: Yeah, just wanted to touch on Peter Mahoney uh, reaching 100 caps. he seems to like I think he's in the absolute form of his life. He's been brilliant in the game of the weekend. I think he made at least two uh line out steals. Um he's just a phenomenal player. Um of course there was a scrap in the game. Of course Peter manny was in the middle of it, scrapping absolutely everybody. He's always there. And I think that's that's what the players love about him as well. Um and apparently he's a really big character in the change room. And you can just see the amount of respect with all the interviews there have been this week and over the weekend that the amount of respect current and former players. Um, have for him so just uh, thought it was important to to mention him and, and of course his interview after the game which is just classic Peter O'Mahony where he basically called out the, the Scots because the some Scots had allegedly you know said that they you know Scotland had figured Ireland out and that they were going to end um, Ireland's winning streak but we all yeah we all saw what happened there so yeah he's just a, a legend of the game I think I know that term is thrown out uh, thrown around quite easily but he really is and he just, yeah, and he just completely justifies the selection. Like there were, there was a period there where a lot of people in our in the in the Irish media were questioning why he he's being picked, but I think we're really starting to see it in this World Cup why he is um, such a valid member of of the team. But yeah, shout out to Peter Randy, I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> of
1: course he is. Of course he is.
2: Uh, what about yourself, uh, Hugh? What's your okay, I'm going so
1: to I'm going to share my screen here because I I did have a couple noted down, but when, as soon as I saw this uh i had i had to go with this so uh, can you see that Show, tell me when you can see just coming through now there we go Yep. there we go right now we don't you condone, have to describe condone, it for our audio listeners we don't as well. condone violence <laughs> but what i'm showing on the screen and, and audio listeners jump on the youtube and have a look and, and give us an extra view um what we have here is similar to what you mentioned there mate a bit of a bit of a set two between the uh georgian players and the welsh players from the weekend a bit of a Barney in the second half. What I'd like to draw your attention to is this guy here. To, this is Tane Basham. OK, the guy right right in the, in the thick of it here. So I don't know if you can see this. In his right arm, he's got one Georgian player here. Outstretched at arm's length. In his left arm, he's got another Georgian player here. And then he's lying on top of a third Georgian. So Tane Basham, who is, by the way, as far as I can tell, the smallest back rower at the World Cup. Is fighting three Georgians at the same time in this photograph. That is that is stupendous effort from him, uh, and yeah, making making Wales captain for life off the back of this for me.
0: Yeah, it's like the uh, Caravaggio's taking of Christ, but with rugby players instead of Roman soldiers.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you got I think Rio dies in here just to sort of try and not get him sent off because they're Dragons teammates. I'm sure he knows what he likes. Anyway, so that's mine. How about yourself? Um,
0: Ian. Yeah, I, I didn't have to think long about this one because I did already definitely have a favorite moment and it might not be everyone's favorite moment, but it was certainly mine. It was Mike Tadger's Majestic Fund, uh, which also happens to be the name of my next garage band. <laughs> uh, you know, that uh, the track back and, you know, the, the little heads up scan of the field. He knew he had the time and then the form and the follow through. You could practically see the boom lines coming off the back of that ball as it made like easily 40 metres. It was a beautiful touch finder. It was absolutely like any out half, any fullback would be, any, 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 any scrum half, if they could kick it that far, would be absolutely delighted with that touch finder.
1: It, it was when you first you see him running back, you're thinking, who is that running back? He's, the, he's not the shape that I was expecting to see running back. And then he gets it, and you're right, it's the minute he picks up the ball he's got it in two hands. And he takes a breath and he looks to the side and he just picks his spot and just he's judging shoot. the wind and everything i think this is way
2: not
0: never doubt the self-belief of a front row player like they can do anything
1: uh, they'll have you believe that in a, in a in a different world they'd be a fly half like i'm a fr- i'm a fly half really yeah brilliant stuff
0: yeah that's literally every front row i've ever met has told me that <laughs> <laughs> so uh
1: Well, we've got you with us, Kian. So you were, as you said, in Paris at the weekend, taking in Ireland versus Scotland. So Edda was in Paris a couple of weeks ago, taking in Ireland versus South Africa. And then I was in France as well. So why don't you tell us about your experience, how you found it, what you've made of France as hosts of the World Cup so far?
0: Uh, Look, France, in my opinion. France and by extension, Paris is simultaneously one of the most amazing and frustrating places you'll ever visit. Uh, you know, for example, I had a couple of brilliant meals there. But, you know, God forbid you try to eat lunch after 2 p.m. or even oh, worse, after I 11 p.m. At night is even worse. Like I ended up um, after the South Africa match eating pizza out of a robot kiosk oven. It sounded like a great idea at the time, but it tasted like it was designed by a robot and constructed out of cardboard. Um, you know, likewise, I had a a brilliant time chatting with um opposition fans. You know, sat sat out on the terrace and the bar tables in the sunshine. The amicable owner coming out offering out a round of free pasties on the house. It was amazing, and then you get to the other end of the night and you're spending twelve quid on twelve euro per pint, and there's two hundred supporters and there's one bathroom for everyone, and somehow the road is sticky. You've never had sticky road before, but there it is. Um, you know, and uh, the, the stadium experience for me was equally kind of schizoid. You know, the queues for the food, the drink, the bathrooms, the merch. They're all huge. They're everywhere. Uh, the staff seemed they have been trained about five minutes before the gates have opened. Um, and, you know, things were running out everywhere and electricity had gone in all over the place. No, no food here, no beer there. But then you get inside the stadium, inside the stadium and the actual match atmosphere, I thought, was just incredible. In all three games I've been to, I thought the match atmosphere was amazing Um, honestly like nothing I'd been to before. Uh, the stadium are all really well suited to live rugby, really cauldron like nice tall edges on the sides, really funnel that sound in. You're never very far from the I mean, I I don't have particularly expensive tickets, but I never felt like I was very far from the pitch Um, and everyone's into the match. Everyone is into the match. There's no no one's there on their phones. There's no one shouting about, you know, mortgage rates or insurance. Uh, Everyone's watching, roaring, gasping, singing. I even joined in a Mexican wave. I swore I'd never join in a Mexican wave (laughs) in a stadium, but there I was. Jumping out and we see like a fool for it, um. And I don't think it was limited to the Irish matches either. you know, I think that the, the atmosphere looked amazing, uh, across the board, um, at any of the matches that I was watching. Um, as we said, from an Ireland point of view, the results don't hurt. But yeah, that's 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 pretty much it from my point of view. It
2: sounds very similar to mine. Like, I was at that box game, keen, and, like, I've never experienced an atmosphere like it. And and one of the people who was with me was in his 60s. He's, like, it was the best sporting occasion ever been liked. like. We And similar to you, like, we got to the stadium so early. And then, like, during the game, every single decision, we were, like, if, if Ireland, if, like, South Africa knocked on the ball, we were out of our seats just roaring. And so it was it just felt like the rest of the stadium was too. And I've just... I could, we could have stayed there all night as well after kickoff just singing... And everyone just smiling and taking photos. It was, yeah,
0: incredible. That was was a singular experience in my life, let alone rugby. That was something (laughs) special. It really was.
1: It it seems like everyone turns up for a rendition of Zombie and there was a rugby match as a warm-up for it.
0: (laughs) It is the fastest rugby match that I've ever been to. I've never had 80 minutes go by on me so quickly. No idea where the time went.
1: Yeah, that's always a good sign, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So while we've got a man of your qualifications with us, Kian, I think it's worth milking you for all you're worth and uh, getting you to talk to us about some stats. So let's pull up some of the graphs that you shared me. Anybody who knows me knows that I get excited by a graph. So I was very excited when you were sharing some of these. So let's have a quick look then. So uh, sharing, sharing, sharing. You think I'll be faster at this now? How many? How long are we doing this? To that. Right. Ooh, no, that's the running notes. That's a glimpse behind the curtain. (laughs) There we go. There we go. So here's a graph that you've sent me. This is about showing how well or disappointingly teams have performed in the pool stage. Do you want to talk us through a bit about how this graph is arrived at and what it tells us?
0: yeah absolutely and um, this was uh inspired both by you by you inviting me on this podcast and your love of all things here too and simon Deleve's amazing work um on the handicap plus minus over performance stats he he started doing um about two weeks in i think uh so what he was doing was taking the handicap for recording the handicap beforehand for each of the matches and seeing how consistently or how, how well the teams were doing over or under the handicap as as they went along. And, you know, I mean, it was it was brilliant because it levels the playing field. In essence, you know, it's the it's the same for Portugal as it is for South Africa um, when you're when you when you use the uh, the bookies handicaps like that. Uh, but I wanted to ha- take it to an, to take it up a level and I had a look at the standard deviation as well to see how reliably Um, the teams performed at those under or over performance levels. I kind of makes more sense now as I go through it. Uh, So what you have here is a a chart with essentially four quadrants of performance. To the right of the of the center line, you've got over performance, and to the left, you've got under performance as per the handicaps. So you're scoring more than the handicap expected you to. You're going to be getting pluses in that in that axis, and if not, you're going to be getting minuses on the horizontal sorry sorry on the on the perpendicular axis um you've got the standard deviation now the larger the standard deviation the further away you are your scores are on average from each other if that makes any sense if all There's if you
1: big discrepancy between each score so you're scoring like on 10 average. In one game and 50 in another
0: it's the it's the average difference between all your score uh, between all your differences to the handicap if that makes any sense whatsoever at this point i'm sure i've lost about 90 percent of the the audience at this point so say you score two above the handicap in each match you're going to have a very low um variance but you're also going to have a low score above handicap so it's it's a matter of trying to balance the two out they're both important um for anyone who can actually see this for example new zealand and france are both Quite high on the plus difference to handicap because they they put, well, New Zealand especially had a couple of big blowouts, but because they lost the first match and because the difference was between the blowouts and the loss is so huge, they're actually quite high on the standard deviation. Whereas Ireland are really low on the standard deviation and still fairly high on the um the 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 plus to the handicap because um they just they've actually beaten the handicap in all four matches. Um and they've done it fairly consistently across all four
1: which is impressive because they would have been plus as in they would have been expected to win all of their games anyway wouldn't they
0: yeah they were on a negative um with the handicap is negative to adjust back down your score towards yeah. zero um so um i can get that here on the fly i'm pretty sure <laughs> Just take a moment. No, no, that's all. I'm used to this. Precious retires. So uh, I'll have to look it up twice. But um, the handicap was 63 against Romania. And that got beaten by 11 points. It was 82 was the score, 82 8, I should say. Uh, 36 was the handicap against Tonga. And that was beaten by seven was 59-16 and then the handicap was 12 against Scotland and that was beaten by 10 and then against South Africa they would not have had the handicap in their favor I don't think Ireland were favorites for that game um Ooh. no South Africa were favorites for that game um and Ireland won 138 so they came out 6 points ahead on
1: that Wow okay I would have thought Ireland would be favorites for that game I disagree with the bookies on that one
0: Yeah bookies love South Africa Historical, historical Rugby World Cup results go a long way still.
1: I'd love to talk to a bookies uh, handicap generated person once to understand that all that goes into it, because it can't just be data. It has to be things no. like history. It has to be things like gut feeling and stuff has to be in there. It must be fascinating discussion to be a part
0: and the, of. And then there's the market rebalancing. <laughs> the more money goes into it, the more it'll change yeah. the odds. And you've got to take the 10% off for the house. I think it's about 10% usually. So.
1: Anyway, so so as we said, France and New Zealand are the ones who overperformed, but perhaps slightly unreliably. Ireland um, performed better, but reliably. The team that's furthest to the right on this graph is Portugal, who I think shocked us all. And of course, beat our beloved Fiji uh, in the last game. Uh, Ender, what, what's your... We were on scoop right on Sunday, and everyone was saying, uh, "Yeah, assuming that Fiji be Portugal, which they will, this is what's going to happen in the course of finals." And then it didn't happen. Uh, do you have a view on, from a Fiji perspective, what went wrong?
2: Well, we know that they made a couple of changes, and actually, just on that point as well, I think you tried to jump in at one stage on that pod by saying, "Well, they still have to play Portugal," and you, you were trying to make the point, and you were me- trying to make a valid point, it seems, because yeah, they would made a couple of changes. Um. And it just seemed like I think they probably underestimated Portugal for me watching them. Like they were just, but also like you can't take away from Portugal and how well they played and how fired up for it they were. Um, Like Portugal overall have had a quite a decent World Cup. I think like they have a draw and they've got a win now and they seem to be building, uh, which is great to see. But from Fiji's perspective, yeah, I think they just, they they potentially underestimated them. And it was quite, I found them quite frustrating to watch. And I think... I, I said this on Scoop as well, And like I'm a bit nervous about them from a completely neutral perspective, uh going up against England. Like I really think England can do a job in Fiji if Fiji don't show up. And if they do force it and if they do try to, you know, run the ball a lot, which we know they don't when they play those big games, we know that they're a mature side now. We know that they're like they're not your typical or your stereotypical Fiji side of old, um, and that they will take their points when they're on offer, they will kick when it's when it's on and everything. So yeah, hopefully I uh, hopefully they just put that game behind them and they move on. Um it does it's incredible that Australia still don't make it through now, which is yeah, we've seen some yeah, quite prominent people tweet about that. and uh, but we won't get into it. But uh look, I think it's just need to put that, that, that game behind them and, and move on and hopefully we'll see what you know, like they they've already beaten England um this year, so they can definitely do a job on them. But yeah, they just need to put it behind them, I think.
1: Yeah, well, um, this is interesting. Yeah, I just quickly on Australia, I can see they're the furthest left, so they are the the biggest underperformers, apart from one. We have the, the uh, one outs- bit.
0: outside of Italy. Yeah, they're the second yeah, lowest yeah, on the uh, kind of minus minus fifty seven yeah. versus the handicap across so all we'll, their matches.
1: We'll talk about Italy a, a little bit more uh, in a few minutes, but Fiji, you can see, also underperformed. So this is where the underlying numbers, as John McKenzie of Tifo would call them kind of are a bit different to the actual outcomes. Because you some would say that Fiji getting out of the pool in second place was an overperformance. But according to the handicap, they have underperformed. Kian, what's your kind of take on stats saying a team is doing badly, but the results say they're doing well?
0: Um, I mean, everything is relative, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, I to me, statistics are to illuminate truths that already exist. They're not an ends to and of themselves. So you know, they should inform decision making. They should inform the way you look at things. But they they don't. No statistic will give you the whole picture, unless Absolutely. unless you're looking for a binary outcome. <laughs> like <laughs> it yeah. won't happen. Um, in terms of um. Fiji's performances, uh they only actually overperformed against Australia. Really? That was their only yeah. overperformance against the handicap. They were twelve and a half points above the handicap in that game. Other than that, they've over underperformed throughout. Um underperformed so by to be Wales then. Um I well you see you don't have to be the favourite to <laughs> underperform. Uh Um,
1: because one one thing I'll say whilst you're just looking that up is that I was looking at some data around penalties conceded in matches today the game that the team that conceded the most amount of penalties and still won was Wales against Fiji Wales conceded 17 penalties in that game to Fiji's 9 and Wales still won the match so that kind of speaks to the, that is a a massive outlier in terms of an outcome I think the second highest um penalty concession is still won, is actually France versus Namibia, but that is, or it might be France versus Uruguay, but that would be where a discrepancy in teams means that the opposition doesn't have the opportunity necessary to give away the, uh, the same number of penalties.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it turns out, yeah, Wales had a handicap of five and they won by six. So... There you go. Uh, against Australia, yeah, they managed, a, there was a Five and a half point handicap for Australia there. And Fiji, of course, managed to win that one. Um, but it was against the other kind of, we say tier two, I think it's probably fair, teams, uh, Georgia and Portugal. Um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> Portugal, we all know that result. Uh, but I mean, the, the handicap against Georgia was um, 18 points Eighteen points for Fiji. Um, and they only won it by five. And the handicap was 20 points against Portugal. And they lost it by a point. So they they really uh, going by the market, I suppose is probably the best way to put it. Going by the market, they've underperformed uh, almost across the board, except against Australia.
1: Wow, that's that's fascinating. I think looking at some of the other teams that are in here in terms of overperformers, one of the overperformers according to the handicap and reliably overperforming is Samoa, and they have finished fourth in their pool and they've gone yeah. home, but they were. But we said it on a on a different pod, Samoa will be kicking themselves because I think they had the minerals to get out of this pool. And I think they'll be thinking back on, on a lot of regrets. What have you made of their performance in Pool D and what was turned out to be the weakest pool of the tournament?
0: Yeah, um I mean, in terms of the handicap rankings, they're, they're eighth in the handicap rankings of plus 20, which is actually quite a decent return. Um they're ninth in the standard deviation rankings, so actually quite uh quite an even keel with those. Uh, they beat the handicap in three games. They uh, were plus one on Chile, plus seven on Argentina, plus twenty-one on England, and minus nine against Japan. Um they did get the two bonus points as well, um, which you know is reflected in, the, in those um in that kind of standard deviation being quite low. Um they they are the they're they finished with the highest log points of any team in fourth place. And, you know, they were actually they really felt like they could have gotten out of that pool. You know, it was the there was the match against Japan, really, which I thought they could have won on another day, which I think cost them ultimately. Um, But uh, yeah, the match against England was the one that got away. They 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 should have won that game. <laughs> no idea how they didn't yeah. win that game. um yeah, that's that's the killer. Um, but they really had an opportunity against Japan as well. They could have been two up on where they were. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that's the, the, the vagaries of sport. Um, well, that's why I we d- play the games, isn't it? Yeah. I
1: suppose rather than just agree it beforehand like this team should win. I mean, Japan is another one that's massively. Um, well, not massively overperformed, but reliably overperformed. I and mean, we looked at where they were after the Pacific Nations Cup with them losing to Samoa and then getting pretty handily beaten by Fiji. And really struggling against Tonga at times as well. Ender, uh, have the sp- have the stories of Japan's demise been greatly exaggerated?
2: I hope so. Like it, the only thing is, like we've touched on it before, like, like we haven't seen them progress. Like I think we were all hoping they'd make it through, um, and they haven't made it through this. Like like you can't remember like the last World Cup. You can't forget like they beat Scotland, they beat Ireland. You know, they made it through them um, and they, you know, I think they surprised everyone, uh, especially a bit. And like it was brilliant to see, especially after that, that massive win they had over the box in 2015 as well. So this year, I don't know what, like, it, I don't know what, what the issues are in Japanese rugby. Like there's a lot of talk about the, that I always, they've changed this name all the time. So what is it now? It's the League One Rugby, is it, I think, the official Japan title? Japan League
1: One Rugby. Japan but, League the, One. The, the football competition is also called japan league one so if you just google japan league one it will come up with soccer before it comes up with rugby which is a nightmare
2: yeah it reminds me of major league rugby as well in in the uk or in uh, the us just to confuse matters even more Um but anyway so we don't know obviously like the sun are no longer there and you know how much has that impacted like i think famously um the coach of japan came out after they'd beaten ireland said they've been planning this for years yeah and they were able to have that cohesion especially because they're all the majority of them were playing for the same club. So is that the issue? I don't know. But I think, you know, it was still like, especially in that, you know, we did see them put in some good performances. They're still trying to pay that exciting brand. And um, I just don't know if they progressed since since the last World Cup. And I think that that's that's disappointing. Um and hopefully they can push on from here. But it's great to see them. And you know, Jamie Joseph is leaving um as well. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with that um change in, in leadership as well.
1: Big man know, Jones which, is coming back, isn't
0: it? Mm, we'll I think
2: they've denied those. Uh, rumors. The rumour,
0: mill is grinding very hot at the moment. Uh, very, very hot.
1: Yeah. Well, that uh, is exciting, isn't it? And of course, the rumour is that their man, Fiji, are going to be added to the rugby championship now, and it's going to be more like a Six Nations of the South, which is well overdue, in my opinion. Yeah, well overdue. Yeah,
0: yeah, That that is fantastic. I'm, I'm really, really happy about that. The other possible coaching assignment, possibly not so much.
1: yeah so kian i'm gonna ask you about scotland in a second to to get you to get your numbers on on the screen um so yeah from my point of view like i said japan needed to get into the rugby championship i think it had gotten a little bit stale as a competition especially the teams playing each other if not twice and three times within the space of just a few months that that once you get a few years of that it does tend to get a bit stale in my opinion um but on to scotland then so kian According to your numbers, Scotland overperformed in this World Cup. Where's that come from? Because it's, they didn't lay a glove on either Ireland or South Africa. So how how do we say that they're overperforms?
0: Yeah, the overperformance very simply came from the two matches in the middle. It's it's literally just as simple and straightforward as that. And um, they were seventh on the difference to handicap ranking, which you can see. Yeah, it's fairly decent to return in, in terms of the overperformers um but they were 13th in terms of the standard deviation ranking a little bit unsteady because of those losses um against against south africa and ireland um they beat the handicap narrowly against tonga uh five points and then really quite soundly against romania with 29 points that was turns out that was their that was their performance of the of the uh of of the tournament um but yeah, they underperformed against Ireland by 10 points in South Africa by four points. That's that's what puts them in the volatile, uh, the volatile over performers quadrant. Um, so yeah, thank thank Ben Healy, Scotland. Thank oh, Ben Healy for getting do. you there. <laughs> I'm a Leicester supporter. Are
1: you know talking to an Irishman. Jeez. I'm a Leinster anyway.
0: supporter, so I should be, I should say boo, boo, boo. And I'll be to hear that. But no, yeah, Ben Healy. I, I honestly thought it was a huge mistake um, for Scotland to go with the 6-2 split and to leave Ben Healy off the bench. That was my take on the day. And then they they they'd lose their backup ten at full back five minutes into the game. And that was good. That was that. That was it. That's good night all she wrote then. They had no they had no out.
1: Yeah, knowing how much Munster people like to stick together, if Benny Lee had come onto the pitch for Scotland, maybe Peter Armani and Keith Ells would have pulled on blue jerseys and started playing for the other team just <laughs> to, to back their guy. Um, right, so who else should we talk about here? Ender, uh, I've been mean to Scotland a lot, so it's your turn. Um, what have you got to say about Scotland that hasn't already been said?
2: They had a really tough draw. Like They were in a pool, like basically their two best teams in the world. Like if they had been on the other side of the draw, I think they would have done better. They probably would have made it through um to the quarters at least. Um like we can get into it in terms of why Scotland are maybe where they're at. But I think they're a good side. I really do. I just think Ireland are definitely better and South Africa definitely better as well. And they just got a they just got unlucky with that draw, I think. Um but like we we've talked about them a lot. And they have some really good players um but Ireland just completely out- like outperformed them, which they've been doing for years now. Um I don't think there's much more that we haven't said about Scotland, is there? I don't know about you, Keen, if you have any other thoughts, but we've talked about them a lot. Um I I think on a day they can actually beat anybody, but I also think the following week they could lose, you know, against Italy. And no respect to Italy, but they're 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 consistently inconsistent for me. Yeah. Um and they just can't seem to get one up in Ireland.
0: Yeah, I think I think volatility is is kind of the key. <laughs> Maybe it was the Scotland match, the match against Scotland that put this in my head as a, as a measure for this is the, the volatility. Um, because, yeah, I mean, they 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 can run hot and they can run cold. And oftentimes the only difference is what's in their own heads about the opposition, it yep. seems. Um, in fairness, it was a very tough draw. And yeah, it's going to be hard for anyone to put one over against South Africa or Ireland at the moment. Um, but they showed little in either of those games, you know, other than that that kind of back to back flash two tries against Ireland. There was no there was no go for there's no there was no real semblance of a danger and attack, even when they were camped out in that 22 for what seemed like 15, 20 minutes. Um, it never really felt like they were going to score. And that's for a side that lives and dies by the attacking sword. That's not a great place to be.
1: Yeah, when when Wales have been at their best, that's how it's felt like when we've been on defence as well. It's like keep running at us, keep running at us. We're we're not going to let you in. What was it like in the stadium when Scotland scored those two tries? Was it a moment of, ooh, this is <laughs> no. Important. It
0: was it was a polite cricket clap. The game had been over you know, twenty minutes at that stage, <laughs> I think. Like they'd already taken Sexton off, and I think I think the uh, the Irish bomb squad had come on at that point. Um, although, you know, linking anything in terms of Ireland to Bomb Squad is probably a bad idea. So, you know, we'll just call them replacements. We'll cut that one out. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right, I'm allowed to say it. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, the the last thing I'll say on Scotland is that they finished with a a positive points difference of plus 75 and a positive try difference of plus 11 tries and finished third in their pool. So that, that kind of tells you that it was a pool of two halves and Scotland was sat right in the middle of it. Um, so, yeah. So finally, our, our worst performers on, on this list. Yeah, It's not Romania. It's not Namibia. It's not Chile. It's Italy, which I think a lot of us are very disappointed at. I think. Does anyone have any kind of theories about why it went so badly wrong for them?
0: Several. <laughs> um. I honestly thought um, against New Zealand, uh, they got inside their own heads. Uh, it was that second try um, off of the mall uh in quick succession where I could almost visibly see them go, oh shit, we're playing the All Blacks and just they stopped tackling. They stopped attending breakdowns. I mean, like they still went through the motions, but there was no spark of vibrancy. And frankly, they've had some issues with defense and breakdown work. Um, they've improved their attack immensely, but those issues haven't gone away and they got really, really horribly highlighted against a rampaging France and a rampaging New Zealand. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It really is. Um, I mean, they had moments of brilliance, like they, they showed exactly what they can do in attack. Um, in those two tries against Italy, uh, Capozzo and, uh, Eone, like they were two magnificent tries.
1: Yeah. What what about yourself, Endy? Have you got any kind of thoughts on what what they got wrong? Is there something you can say, this thing here, they made this mistake?
2: I'm um, yeah, it's it's hard to know if this was like if there was something like again, it's so simple, but like it was a horrible group as well. Like <laughs> up against the hosts and against New Zealand. So for me, like I can I can forgive them for this. Like it, it's it was bloody tough for them. Um, like we know they've got superstars. We know, like in my opinion, they're improving. Benetarn are improving, and uh, the other twenties are excellent. Like it's not. I hate this. Everyone's talking about the demise of Italian rugby, and we should just kick them out of the, the Six Nations and all this. But I think they were just dealt a really tough group. Um, and they put in some poor performances. Did did Kieran Crowley's? You know. You know, it was announced before the tournament that he was going to be replaced after that play on the the players' minds. I was listening to another podcast on the bus home today, and I did hear that the reason Amaro was pulled off was uh, after, I think it was, what, three or four minutes into the second half? Allegedly, um, he was part of some sort of coup, and he was calling for Crean Crowley to be uh, removed. Don't know how true that is. It could be complete nonsense, but I did hear it on quite a reputable um, Paul. So that was quite interesting. So I don't know, um, but for me, like overall, they were just in a really tough group, um, and they put in some some poor performances. Maybe or maybe they just didn't have the belief in themselves, knowing they are playing the hosts and the All Blacks. Um, but for me, I don't think this is crisis mode for I think they'll be fine. I think they'll pull through. Like they have some absolute superstars. Let's let's move on and let's not talk overly negatively about about Italy.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a good point. That they got a really young squad. I mean, it's what it's uh twenty-four, their thirty-three man squad, um is it's their first World Cup. And they have an average yeah. overall age of twenty six. Like that's a very naive squad. Um and I mean it shows the the only team they actually beat the handicap on was Namibia. Um Uruguay actually best of them the best of the handicap by two points on them. Really? Um so yeah. Um, That's interesting
1: because so, a lot of people thought that Uruguay had a chance of winning that game.
0: Yeah. That's interesting,
1: yeah. these things, isn't it? Um, For for me, we talk about the superstars. The, the thing that they got wrong, in my opinion, and this can be put at Crowley's feet, is what they were doing with their 10, 12, 15. Like in the first game, they went Garbisi 10, Maurice 12, Allen at 15. Allen has played eight times at 15 in his career, uh, up to today. And six of those have come in the last 12 months. So he, he's, he's been thrust into this fullback position. He's only played 15 in back-to-back games twice in his career. So he played two, I think, at the end of last year and two in the Six Nations this year. And he's suddenly playing in the World Cup at 15. But it's not like that's because Kapowitza was injured. Kapowitza was on the pitch. He was at 14. But he's the the exciting new talent. And then in the next game, they moved Allen back to fly half and brought Garbizi back from 10, back to 12, and then Capovicu back to 15. That was against Uruguay, I think. And then for the new All Blacks game, went back to their first one, Garbisi, Maurici, Alan, Capovicu on the wing. And then for the last game, Alan, Garbisi, Capovicu again. It's like, what's the, what's the plan here, Kieran? What One of these is, what, what went so well against Namibia that you thought it was a good idea against the All Blacks, but it wasn't good enough for Uruguay? Like, I, I don't get it. And if you've got, a player like Kapowitz, so players like Garbisi, you want these guys on the ball as much as possible. Um, so I don't understand. If you, if you don't think Allen's the guy, don't play him or put him on the bench or something. Yeah, just, just bizarre for me. Anyway, so I think that's an interesting look at, at your numbers there, and Thank you so much for sharing these. It's really interesting to see. The one thing I just want to touch on before we leave it. Are England overperforming?
0: Statistically, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go through it now. Uh, they've actually beaten a handicap in three of their games. Yeah. Um, so that's a uh, 16, 16 point over performance against Argentina, a one point, sorry, a one point over performance in their second game, which was, let's say the third, the th- yeah, I think that was Japan. Sorry. Yeah. One point over performance against Japan, 22 point over performance against Chile. And then a a whopper minus twenty one uh underperformance then against Samoa in the last game, but they have two decent over performances in there, albeit one of them against um Chile, who you know, unfortunately, every every group seems to have its whipping boy, and unfortunately Chile was that one's um. Argentina contributed to it as well. This is one of the issues with these things. Is that it's very one-sided. You just see the points difference come through. You don't see the fact that Argentina played absolutely horribly that day.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the stat for England that su- surprised me was they got the best defence of the World Cup so far, conceding three tries. Two shutouts, two games with no tries conceded. Although the context to that as well is the context that you have to give is three of the five teams in Pool D conceded less than ten tries in the whole pool stage, and Chile conceded thirty. So, there, as you said, Kian, there's Chile skewing the stats in that pool quite a bit. Um, I, I described them on another pod as a zombie of a team, that they're they're, they're they're the undead rugby team. Then they just keep coming, and you you, you can't kill them. And is that a legit description in your opinion?
2: I think so. I think you're right. Um, And look, it it, we've touched on this before. It's it's disappointing for me. I think seeing every World Cup cycle um, hammerings. I I really don't think it's healthy for the game. Um, But in terms, just touching on England as well, uh, I think they're definitely overperforming. It's great to to back that up, but like winning is like there's um they've got momentum there. Um, I, I kind of quietly secretly uh, yeah admire what England are doing they're just playing the worst brand of rugby but they're just sticking to it they're buying into it and here they are in a quarter final against Fiji who they could easily do a job on um it's just crazy to think that it can go be in a World Cup semi-final in two weeks Uh, who would have said that before um the World Cup but I think yeah as neutrals I think we're all shouting for Fiji right especially on this this spot we are shouting for Fiji yeah
1: oh absolutely 100 percent uh right, so just to kind of add some extra extra stats to this. So I've been tracking, well we've been tracking the tier two uh teams because we're a tier two pod. And I just wanted to go through whether the numbers from what we've been looking at kind of matches up to what Kean's just shown us on this graph. And thankfully enough they do. It's actually quite similar results. So we've been I came up with my own little formula for coming up with um co- the coefficient points. It's a bit like a, a, a my attempt at a world rankings bit of maths. And I was really nervous when I first came up with it because the, the initial scores were coming through when people have played different amounts of games, and I was like, oh, this is starting to look a bit silly. But it's actually spat out something that kind of looks right. And I think you know, if something looks right, that's a long way to it being right. 100%. So, percent If it comes to ranking the T teams, now people disagree on what tier two is classed as i've classed it as any team not in the six nations or the rugby championship that's a very uk-centric view because we don't see those teams i know japan uh have a seat at the world rugby council so someone call them tier one i know some people would call fiji tier one now because they're in super rugby this is my definition if you disagree that's allowed we don't we don't have to agree yeah um so Oh, is it not, is it not showing my screen anymore? Hang on a minute. Might have to reconnect and reshare. There we go. Coming through. Through. No, actually, just go entire screen. You get a chance to look at your own faces there. That was good, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, It's not doing it. It's not doing it right. I'll just have to verbalize it. Okay, so. Fiji are the top. I think that that makes sense. So the tier two teams, Fiji are the the best performance. They with a Pirates rugby coefficient of 8.47. They get a whole extra heap of points for getting into the knockout stages, um, which for a tier two team is a fantastic achievement. Uh, Japan would be second which I think some people might be surprised at. Oh, I'm back. I didn't even press Yeah, to.
0: there we go. <laughs> yeah, teams have like okay. that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, right, okay. Cool. Fiji Top, Japan second. So Japan scored the most points of anyone uh, in the Tier 2 teams. 110 points scored. Of course, we spoke about Chile skewing some of those, some of those uh, metrics. 107 points conceded. Uh, they probably conceded a bit more to uh, Argentina and England that they were expecting. Um, but yeah, they come second. They narrowly beat out Samoa. So this is where like your graph keen and my table here kind of says the same thing is that even though Samoa finished fourth uh, in their pool, they actually performed quite well and all of their underlying numbers suggested that they are a good team. So for me, they've got to be gutted and you get the sense from some of the interviews that the players were giving that this was their last hurrah. This was their, well, I'm not going to the next World Cup. This was my swan son, and I'm pretty gutted that I've underperformed. Um, Portugal being fourth, I think that's no surprise based on the win that they got. And I think, again, on your graph, Ian, they overformed quite well. And then Uruguay being the only other tier two team that got a win, kind of rounding out that group. The bottom three, I think, makes a lot of sense as well. So Namibia are ranked bottom in my table. Um, Below Romania, I think that reflects the rankings of the teams that they were playing. Yes, Namibia were playing very good teams, but I think Romania were playing even better teams. Uh, And then Romania being second bottom, Chile being third bottom. And then you've got the two middle guys of Georgia and Tonga. Ender, do do we need to talk about Georgia? Why were people tipping them to get out of the group before the World Cup and now they finished bottom of Pool C with no wins?
2: I think, yeah, I don't know. Like I've, like in some of the games that they played and that that I watched, they they played quite well. Um, but I can't really like I haven't seen enough of them before. I didn't see enough of them before the World Cup. Like a lot of people were, were kind of just like saying that they were they were going to do a lot better than they did, but I'm not sure if I necessarily saw that. Um, but I think they're definitely an improving. Um, nation in terms of rugby, um, you do see high attendances at their games as well, which is great to see. Uh, I did read today as well that their coach is leaving, so will that, you know, will that lead to some change? I'm not sure. So,
1: I think um, but
2: I, I'm not, I'm not sure. overly surprised that
1: for, at the moment. I think there's some stories that he's quit, and there's some stories saying that the stories of him quitting are untrue. So I'm not sure exactly what is accurate at the moment.
2: Mm. But yeah, I'm not overly surprised to to see them there. Um, being honest with you.
1: Okay, cool. Um, I just want to call out some of the individual performances in terms of point scorers and try scorers. So, Matsuda is the top try, top points scorer of anyone in Tier Two with a really quite amazing 43 points in four games. All kicks. I don't believe he scored any tries. Uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't. So that kind of shows like what a difference he made. Like Japan would have not been in a with a shout of getting out of this pool without him kicking those. And it kind of shows like someone like uh, this is Uruguay, for example, their top point scorer was a try scorer who didn't take any kicks. So that kind of shows how goal kicking in knockout rugby or tournament rugby, how important it is and how you can look at the box. And now the situation they find themselves in with Pollard, if you want to see a video, guys, about uh, the debates between Poc- LeBocq and Pollard, click on the pop-up banner here. See, now I have to learn how to do pop-out banners. Right. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, Matsuda, huge um, for Japan. Havili quietly had a very, very good performance for Tonga as well. Uh, Him and Big Ben, uh, for me, were their standout players. Havili, one of the few players who was actually in his 20s in that Tonga team. They're mostly a much older squad, so having him there. And he'd been playing... Um, fullback from Moana Pacifica all season so to come in at fly half in a World Cup and perform how he did uh, it is impressive and it kind of it's amazing when you look into the South Sea Island teams just how many players they've got playing out of position how they've got they're moving people around to come cover other people like Pajawa at fullback for Samoa or um, no of players for Tonga uh, top try scorers there was uh, one two three four five players uh, with three tries each. Obviously, Storty will be the superstar for Portugal, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts on Fakatawa's try for Japan, the chip and chase, the one that nothing, none of us picked it as the moment of the week, and yet some people are saying it's the try of the tournament.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have to say, I did. I was tempted. I was tempted, but I can't. I couldn't deny a font. Like <laughs> Tries and score it every day, <laughs> but a font is forever.
1: <laughs> but uh,
0: yeah, no. It was an incredible try. Did he mean it? Yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah. what I was
2: asking myself watching the replay.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say yes because it made for a beautiful try. So, I was yeah. Like, yeah, pure skill. Absolutely meant it. <laughs> and he's never going to say it indifferent. <laughs> no, exactly. You're never going to find out any other way. The same way you can't prove intent uh, for any of the head knock stuff or anything like that, you can't prove that he didn't mean to score that try.
1: That's a great argument. That's a great argument. I remember, was it against Ireland, Stuart Hogg scored a try where the ball bounced in such a weird way and it bounced on his hands and he was through on, on the line. He's like, oh, I'm going to score a try. And he just he just <laughs> did it. was like, yeah, just, just claim you meant it, Hoggy. Just claim you meant it. Anyway, that's enough stats. I think uh, we've established who the under and overachievers of the pool stages are, and we can look ahead excitedly to the quarterfinals.
0: Just last thing uh, on that, Matsuda yeah, scored. Yeah. Just shy of forty percent of Japan's points from his boot. Over the yeah. over the full over the full pools. That's that's, that's nuts.
1: That's, yeah. That's amazing when you consider you think of Japan as a free scoring team. You score a lot drivers.
0: I I know, right?
1: So Sh- shows they're evolving, I suppose. Anyway, right. So Ender, do you want to take us through some of our tier two roundups then mate?
2: Yep, sure. And your video's gone, by the way. Uh, but you're Let's see if you come back when you stop sharing. Um, but I'll start going through these because we're just a bit tight uh, for time. Um, so let's go through. So English Premier Cup, uh, English Premiership Cup, I should say. Um, Coventry nearly beat uh, Gloucester away from home. Ollie Thorley with a, a last minute try uh, to seal it 32-31. Uh, Coventry are a great team to to watch. Uh, in terms of the NPC, we saw the quarterfinals uh, this past weekend. So Canterbury beat Auckland to, uh, to set up a semi final with Taranaki. Um, after they beat Tasman, uh, Wellington beat uh, Waikato uh, and will now face Hawks Bay, who beat Bay of Plenty um, in the Super Series. Irish are uh, remain top. Watsonians now second after beating the Bears. Um I also just wanted to touch on the AIL. So that's the All-Ireland League, which started um, this weekend as well. There was one game, bro- one game broadcast for free on YouTube via um, the IRFU um and it's unclear i think uh, how many games can be broadcast each weekend it looks like it's going to be one at least on youtube which is great to see but just for those of you who don't know what it is and um, the all Ireland league so there are multiple divisions but 1a is the top level and it's essentially one level below the uh, the four provinces um, in Ireland. So you'll see a lot of academy players from the four provinces. You'll see and you'll sometimes see like uh, players who've been out with long term injuries and they're trying to get up to speed. They will play some games. So you do see uh, a number of players from each of the provinces play for various different teams. Um, looking at this did past I, weekend.
1: Sorry, mate. did I read there was a rule that only two senior players can play for a, a, an AIL team?
2: Kian, I don't know. I, I've never heard that, Keen. I know. Uh, have you heard? I do know that there was a rule previously where, if you play for a, a, a province, you have to play for, um, like the the team play for has to be either one A or one B. And but I've never heard that. I don't know, Keen. If you heard that, in different. No, I don't
0: think okay. so.
1: Let me
2: down.
0: I'd say some of them could be overrepresented, to be honest, as well. So
2: yeah. Um, and look at that. This past weekend, um so lansdowne are on top no surprise there and we clon tarp in second um but just moving on then i just want to also to mention to our viewers and listeners that the gallagher premiership is back this weekend now we are a urc uh, uh equals best league uh podcast but we do we will cover the the prem um this year so yeah it starts this begins one thing i just wanted to call out so there are games on TNT sports in both Ireland and the UK however two games are exclusive to PR so Premiership Rugby TV and they have increased their prices this year for our viewers so uh, if you want to watch an individual game this has gone up from 4.99 sterling to 5.99 the season pass has gone up 30 quid from 99 to 129 99 and they've also seemed to have gotten rid of the round pass that you could previously buy so you could buy say uh, a pass for a number of games and um, per weekend so i'm not sure if that's going to be back but it, it definitely isn't available um, this week. and this weekend. so that's one to keep an eye on uh, and then we also have the launch of the wxv the new women's international tournament and um, so there are three versions of this and it's two and three that start this this coming weekend including um ireland who are playing kazakhstan and that game is going to be available on rugby pass tv uh, because as rugby the uh Broadcast rights are really confusing. So in in England, all of England's games are going to be shown on ITVX, not on ITV's linear channels, uh, and they're also going to show Wales games on ITVX. S4C are going to show uh, Wales the Welsh games on their linear channel,
1: Thank as well as <laughs>
2: uh, yeah S4C Click, and Scotland there is no word, so that means that Rugby Pass TV will be uh, the destination for all games and it's the same in ireland surprisingly not any of the uh linear orchestration broadcasters have picked up the right so rugby pass tv which is free which is good um you'll be able to watch all the games there so including ireland's game this weekend so you do have to sign up and um, but it is free um so there just the two things uh hugh do you want to take us through just the, the rugby europe conference
1: yeah so uh i'm sure a lot of people have heard of rugby europe before and obviously that's where the teams like portugal Uh, and Georgia and Romania come from. What I didn't know until recently is there is a level even below that. Now, of course, there must be somewhere for those teams to play, but there is a Rugby Europe Europe conference currently happening, and it's got a lot of teams in it. So it's split into four pools, and they include this. Pool A is Denmark, Finland, Latvia, and Dora. Pool B is Hungary, Luxembourg, Slovenia, and Bosnia Bosnia and Herzegovina. That one, which is one country. Uh, pool C is Moldova, Bulgaria, Turkey and Serbia. Moldova is where Dmitri Demi- Arhip is from, who was the former Ospreys and Cardiff tight head. And then Pool D is just Israel and Malta. No other two. It's just two, two, two teams in that. So I'm not sure how that pool is working. I don't know if some countries aren't playing Israel for political reasons. I've got no idea. Maybe. I've got absolutely no idea, guys. Don't hold me to that. I know that there is an Israeli team in the Rugby Europe trophy. I'll tell you what, I'll ask my friend Francisco. He'll know. He knows everything. Um, Right. So that's going on. Uh, I don't know if it's on TV at all, but we'll keep an eye on the scores and we'll let everybody know who wins. I'm going to say Moldova because I've heard of a rugby player from them. Uh, That's about as deep as it goes. Anyway, guys, I think that's pretty much all that we... Have to talk about this week. Yeah. And um,
2: so, just for me, yeah. Thanks everyone for for listening and for tuning in, and a massive thanks to Keen, and uh, for coming on. You've been a joy. You've been a pleasure, and we hope to to see you back again. But really appreciate
1: it, mate.
0: Yeah, delighted, Thanks, for, many for having me.
1: Cheers, guys. Have a great week, everybody. Sorry. Right. There we go.